You're listening to Productive Flourishing. Thanks for joining us today. Even if we do happen to live in the same location as our parents, but it makes it even more tricky when so many of us today now are in different locations than our families are. Um, And so there's just a whole new set of challenges and logistics that happen there. And it is incredibly hard when you are getting advice, especially advice you have not asked for, from many different locations about how you should be showing up for your family in certain times. Welcome to Productive Flourishing, where we explore how to do the work that matters so you become your best self in the world. I'm your host, Charlie Gilkey, and I'm joined by Angela Wheeler and other guests who will share their stories, insights, wins, and challenges in the hopes that our journeys and stories will help you with yours. Now, on to the show. Hey everyone, I'm glad to be back on the Productive Flourishing Podcast, and Angela is joining me today, and I'm excited about that. Yeah, I'm happy to be here. Okay, go ahead and kick us off. All right, so what Charlie and I are going to be talking about today is a hard conversation, just to be completely blunt. We have, um, in some ways, avoided talking about this specific conversation, um, but it keeps coming up, and so we're going to acknowledge it and recognize that it's coming up for a reason. So what we're going to be talking about today is what it means to live away from family when they are dealing with health challenges and medical issues. Uh, The reason for it is twofold. Charlie and I have um, dealt with quite a bit of this ourselves in the last year, year and a half. And we also have several clients as well as a teammate who is in a similar position right now with family being across the country and having to make hard decisions about how to be a part of the healthcare and um, health journey for um, aging parents, grandparents, that type of thing. Yeah. And before we jump into this, um, there is some construction going on outside of our house. Um, As you know, we record in our recording studio. We don't know how long this construction is going to be. It's actually been going on off and on for the last couple of weeks. And so in case you hear it in the silences or you hear some knocking, again, there's nothing we can do. um, And it shouldn't degrade your experience, but we just wanted to pull it out just in case you're like, is there knocking in the background or is there a saw? Yes, there is knocking in a saw that's happening half a block away. Um, you know, new neighbors and everything. So we wish them well, and we're jumping in. You, the challenge that that I've had with this particular conversation, Angela mentioned that you know it's it's been gone or it's been requested for a while. Is my personal life, my personal choices around how to engage with my family have always been a bit different. I'm not going to go into a lot of the family patterns and things like that because it's not really appropriate. Um, but just recognize that if you come from a super tight knit family and things are um, really good, and you um, really have a great time when you hang out and everything together. Not everybody's experience is like that, um, and you're going to think about this differently. And and that's really one of the things we want to get to, is as you start making decisions about things, you've got to figure out that fine line between your values and how you need to make decisions for yourself and the family values that are there, what people expect of you, and then there's sort of the social pressures of the way things should be. And it can get really confusing because um, 
you might have three or four or 18 different sources telling you what you should do. Um, and you can't please everybody, right? Um, reminds me of the, you know, Otis Redding sitting on the docket of the Bay song, right? Like, you know, I can't do what 10 people tell me to do. So I guess I'll remain the same, right? So you end up in that situation where 10 different people are telling you to do something. You're not going to be able to please all of those people. And unfortunately, a lot of times the natural choice is um, to do the thing that other people want you to do, regardless of the cost to yourself. Mm-hmm. And that can be really disastrous in a lot of different ways. So that's the first thing. Our choices and the way I talk about it and the way you know that goes is, is sort of guided by you know, 37 years of experience with my family that has its own thing going on, your mm-hmm. family is going to have its own thing going on. Mm-hmm. And that's going to be a challenge. But what, you know, for a broader context, um, Angela's parents and grandparents live in Arkansas. My parents live in Arkansas. Um, we moved away, you know, when we were in our 20s, we moved to Lincoln, Nebraska, which was in some ways far enough away, but still close enough that we could be involved in different ways. But then we moved to Portland, Oregon, mm-hmm. and um, that's created a pretty big barrier in time, right? When we lived in Lincoln, Nebraska, we were at least on the same time zone. Mm-hmm. So we can call people after work for, you know, for us, and it would still be time for them. But with us now, like they live in central time zone, we live in Pacific time zone. And so, um, and with especially my older parents, so my my parents are older mm-hmm. than Angela's are, um, even if it's not a bunch of years older, um, the life path that they've been on and their health and everything makes them um, significantly more elderly than Angela's parents are. Mm-hmm. And so, if I call after work at my time, which might be 5.30 or 6, it's like 8 o'clock their time. And um, they're winding down going to bed because they're old. Um, and <laughs> They're not old. They're older. They are older. Well, my dad's 77, though. I right? know, so, but, um, and so, anyways, um, that's the other thing to think about. Context. Context of, of different families. So, my family is poor in the South. Has not had great health care. They don't have a lot of you know, great health care options um, for different reasons. And so, um, they're aging faster. Mm-hmm. Um, than Angela's are um, for different reasons. Um, so, yeah, it's tricky. It's tricky. So we moved away. Um, you know, our teammate, her parents, she lived in Portland. Her parents live in Florida, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we have clients who are in the same thing. And that's one of the things is as a thriving creative person or um, as a thriving leader, um, a lot of times, unless you're born in New York or California, or some of the major hubs, mm-hmm. you can't find, or it's hard to find career opportunities for you where you're from. Um, and sometimes where you're from doesn't resonate with you. Like, we grew up in the South. Mm-hmm. Um, we would have a hard time at this point in time living in the South for cultural reasons. Mm-hmm. So, um, that means that our economic livelihood um Depends on us not living here. Now, the trick with us is that we technically have a location-independent business. Mm-hmm. Like, we could move to Arkansas. Mm-hmm. And um, our clients would not really know the difference besides me picking up my southern accent because I'm a <laughs> linguistic chameleon. Right? So, I picked that up. Um, but as far as our general happiness goes, it's really dependent upon the place that you live. Right? And mm-hmm. if 
you know, Richard Florida has written a great couple of great books about this, but it's called The Rise of the Creative Class is the main one. Mm-hmm. The second one is Hoosier City that talks about the fact that one of the biggest um, predeterminers of a creative person's happiness mm-hmm. is where they live. Mm-hmm. Right. And so it's challenging because on the one hand, like we could just up and move back to Arkansas. Mm-hmm. Um and be involved in decision-making and everything like that. Or be involved, not so much in decision-making, because we're still vo- involved in some decision-making, but involved mm-hmm. in the day-to-day. Mm-hmm. Um, but at what cost, right? Is that really the best thing? So on and so forth. Yeah. Yeah. Those are, um, you know, there's so many threads there from what you talked about um, that that I could pick up or that we could pick up and talk about. And... You know, one of the things that that really comes up for me is whether or not you are a location-independent worker and are able to work in different places or if you have to be in the place that your business is located, that your job is located, these decisions are um, ones that most all of us are going to have to think about and grapple with at some point in time. Um, even if we do happen to live in the same location as our parents, but it makes it even more tricky when so many of us today now are in different locations than our families are. Um, and so there's just a whole new set of challenges and logistics that happen there. And it is incredibly hard when you are getting advice, especially advice you have not asked for from many different locations about how you should be showing up for your family in certain times. And, you know, Charlie, you have your own set of circumstances and relationships with your family. It looks very different than the ones I have with my family, looks very different than the ones that Joe has with her family and our clients have with their family. It just looks different for everyone. And so, you know, I know for myself with some of the um, the loss that we've dealt with in my family that I had to make some really hard, tough decisions about what times did my heart and my gut and my soul tell me this is something you can't miss that you don't want to miss versus you should be there for everything that happens. Um, and that's a hard, um, that's a hard one to parse through sometimes. Um, but I do know that for myself, when making decisions about when it's time to fly back to where my family is located due to um, a hospitalization and illness, um, you know, family passing, different things like that, that the thing that I've had to rely most on is my own intuition and my my gut and heart about what feels right and what feels resonant. And I will say that that does not always coincide with what my friends thought it should be or my family thought it should be. Um, or what society tells me it should be. Um, so it's not, um, it's just, it's not an easy decision. 
Yeah, I think the challenge for both of us is that, um, so Angela's grandmother um, had dementia and passed um, last year. And my dad, in this last February, was diagnosed with dementia. And so what's challenging, I, I would say every you know illness is challenging, but they, they have different challenges. And what's challenging about sort of handling or you know managing and coping with my dad's situation is there's not like this catalytic event right mm-hmm. where he's like here and then gone or he's you know here and then he's in a hospital or he's there and that it's like a gradual um gradual and inconsistent taking of his identity right yeah, yeah. and so that's that's really the tension the like tense point about this because you know we're all on borrowed time in different ways but with dementia uh, in in the scenario that we're talking about we don't know what that time looks like mm-hmm. right and um, his really acute dementia or sim- his symptoms happened pretty quickly. Like we knew he was on the decline in different ways, mm-hmm. but February took a very steep drop mm-hmm. right after the car accident. Right. Yeah. Very steep drop. And so, um, the man that was my father, it's not really there anymore. A lot of times, sometimes he's there, sometimes he's not. Right. Um, and he's currently living with my brother, um, in Little Rock, and you know there are other situations around there. My mom's living with them as well, um, so it's tricky because on the one hand, if um, I'm going to say if I, if you get if I get over emotional about it, you know there can be the like I want to be there for everything mm-hmm. sort of scenario because mm-hmm. you never know. Um, on the other hand, I can't be there for everything, like just yeah. can't. Um, and so what becomes those points? Where, um, you know, you're there and how do you deal with the scenario in which like the, the shell of your dad is there, mm-hmm. but you know, the, your dad is gone at the same time. Right. Yeah. So it's a different scenario in that way. Um, and with my particular scenario, I'm um, staying with my brother, mom staying with my brother as well, have siblings in Arkansas that, that come and go. But in a lot of times in these situations, it's actually too much, you know, sibling and, and child involvement can actually create a worse situation, mm-hmm. right? Because a lot of the coming and going and then the, you know, um, fraternal friction that comes up and all those types of things, like, you, you know, you only need so many cooks in the kitchen at a time, yeah, right? And um, in that situation... Like, he doesn't need to be switching kitchens a lot, mm-hmm. right? It's just not healthy healthy for him. You know, we've talked to the doctor about this. And so, he's kind of in the kitchen that he needs to be, and he he's kind of has the cooks that he needs. And those those cooks need relief every once in a while, mm-hmm. um, or more frequently than every once in a while, right? Um, living in Arkansas and just piling in on it, it's not really helpful. Yeah. Um, it's not really helpful for the situation. Um, it's not helpful for... Um, you know, our life, it's not helpful for, it's not going to change dad's outcome. Um, so it creates this very challenging scenario, right? Where it's like, mm-hmm. sure, I could be on plane trips back and forth to Arkansas. Um, that's a lot of disruption with a lot of people's lives. And um, aside from, um, you know, the bonding and things that happen among siblings and things like that, it doesn't actually help the situation that much yeah. yeah and that becomes a tricky part right it does. Um, because there's this sort of general belief that you should be there as much as possible mm-hmm. 
Um, whereas when you've, like I've said, and I've told Angela this, like I've said my piece with dad in a lot of different ways, and I still call and talk to him and things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, but I like I don't necessarily feel that there's a whole lot of like a relationship to mend or improve or anything there. And there's also the fact that, you know, um, depending upon when I call, dad may not be there. Like mm-hmm. his body's there, but dad himself may not be there. Yeah. So it's just very challenging. It is. It's incredibly challenging. Um, you know, there's um, what comes to mind for me, you know, this is kind of the the logical part of my brain. And, and I want to put that out there first because I understand very well um, that logical is not always what happens, um, often is not what happens when it comes to um, our relationships with families, um, especially when it becomes, you know, even, you know, my mom's family, they're incredibly close. Um, they all live near each other. They get along very well, shared values, um, you know, shared religion, all of these things. And you know, even with all of that, you know, having a really tight family bond, it doesn't, I mean, they were fortunate with what happened with my grandmother and that they were so aligned with each other um, and what they wanted to have happen. And I can't even imagine, like, if that were not the case, how much more difficult it would have been going through the process of letting go of her last fall. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, I say that and I bring that up and that, you know, what I'm going to share is kind of my, my logical brain, my logical mind. Um, but I really do believe that one of the best things we can do for ourselves and for our family is to be able to have open and healthy conversations and communications about, what we are able to do, what we want to do, um, what we can do in certain situations and not others, and really have an understanding and a shared, even if we don't have the best of relationships with the family, or if we don't have, um, you know, necessarily even shared values about everything or shared beliefs, you know, the best way to make it smoother for everyone is to have really hard conversations about like, this is, this is what I am able to do. This is how I can help. This is what I'm not able to do. Um, And I share that again, the logical part of me um, understanding that with family dynamics and relationships that at that that's not always able people aren't always able to do that um or able to make that happen but it sure is helpful yeah and then and to that list i would say you know given who i am what's the best thing that i could provide yeah right for the situation um yeah what's the best way that i can contribute mm-hmm. um and the way that I sort of think through things is, um, or some a way to approach this is to try to get aligned on what outcome everybody is wanting. Mm-hmm. Because different people are going to have different ideas about how to get to that outcome. Yeah. Right? Um, some will think X and some will think Y and some will think Z. 
And it's really, really easy to put the cart before the horse. It's mm-hmm. really, really easy to have people butting heads over, you know, this nursing home or living with this sibling or, you know, this health option or, you know, between these two living arrangements and things like that, right? It's super easy to get to get caught into that, right? Um, and it can be a lot better to say, you know what, let's not talk about options yet. Let's talk about what we want to see happen, right? Mm-hmm. What outcomes are we wanting here? Mm-hmm. And, you know, I had this conversation with my brother and my siblings about, um, about dad, right? Mm-hmm. I was like, so what are, what are the criteria we're looking for here, right? Mm-hmm. What does winning look like? And, you know, I'm a strategist and I'm a goals guy, right? Yeah. But without knowing that, we could have easily devolved into, like, just a bunch of different opinions about things. But, like, can we agree upon this, mm-hmm. right? We want dad to be safe, um, we want him to be well cared, cared for. We want him to feel loved, right? Um, and we want to do that as long as he's not, like, violent, you know, which sometimes happens with dementia. Mm-hmm. Or um, in case he starts, like, chronically soiling himself or in case he's starting to wander and things like that. So you can set up different conditions mm-hmm. um, that say, okay, as long as those conditions are met and we all agree upon those conditions, then we can talk about options, yeah. Right. Then we can talk about what we might want to do and how best to achieve that. Mm-hmm. And upon that point, the reason I want to say that is because when you're dealing with family, you might be dealing with um, people with different material circumstances. Like some people might be able to pay for things. Others mm-hmm. might not. Mm-hmm. Right. And, you know, the the value of a hundred dollars might mean a lot different things for people. Right. Yeah. And so you might say, you know what, in this circumstance, I want X to happen. I can't be there, but I can pay to make sure that happens, mm-hmm. right? And you just want to make sure that with your siblings that you're not in a situation, which this, I've seen this happen, right? Not necessarily in ours, but in other siblings, to where one person is doing something like that, mm-hmm. but it's counted as less than, mm-hmm. than like the people that are there and like, well, I was there. It's like, okay, well, you were there, but I was here doing this, right? And so you just really get an agreement of like what needs to be in place, mm-hmm how you might be able to do that Mm -hmm. and then how different people can contribute to make that particular reality happen. Yeah. And it might be wildly asymmetric things, right? It might be, for instance, I've got an older sister that um, goes up and helps mom and dad and Jason. You know, she does this, you know, I think at least every four to six weeks, right? Mm -hmm. She goes up from Texarkana to Little Rock um, to help dad and Jason and the family. Right. And that's how she can contribute. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, I have another one that lives in Arizona that can't do that, but can do other things to help that sibling. So, I mean, we're, we can pile in in different ways, but how we are involved in the scenario is different based upon what we can do. And, um, what I'll say here is, um, I'll make it sound simple to come up with like what those conditions are. Mm-hmm. Um, it's actually not. Yeah. Right. Cause different people are going to have different sort of scenarios that they want to have happen. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, what I would want all people to think about though, is like, if you want a condition that's different than the rest of your family, mm-hmm. be willing to be part of the solution to make that condition happen. Yeah. Right. Don't be like, well, I think I'm going to have circumstance in this actually, you know, um, you might want to speak to this, but, um, you know, you might have one sibling that's like, I refuse for them to go to the nursing home. Mm-hmm. Well, 
what are you doing to contribute to them not or to the scenario where they're not in their nursing home? Yeah. Like if the people that are staying with them um, can't help. Right. Mm -hmm. So you can't just be like, I refuse for that. That's not possible. And then you not do anything to Mm -hmm. be a part of that solution. Right. And, you know, if you realize that you at this particular time don't have a lot to contribute, time, energy, attention, money, care, decision, whatever that might be, it might be the case that you don't get a whole lot of say on what happens. Right. Mm -hmm. Or you don't get as much say as someone who's going to be there and be doing the work. And I know that's super hard to hear. But, you know, you can't be, I'll speak personally, I can't be half a country away mm-hmm. and say, well, this should happen and that should happen and this should happen and that should happen and not do a damn thing to be a part of making that happen. Yeah. Right. It's not, you know, it's not reasonable and it's not fair to the people that are there. Yeah. And so might there be different things that I would decide if I were there or if mom or dad lived with me? Perhaps. Mm-hmm. Right. But that's not the reality. The reality is, is that. The solutions and the outcomes we're talking about have to be based upon the people that are there that are contributing to that degree. Yeah. Yeah. I'm so glad that you bring that up. I mean, it's such an important piece of it. And it's really hard to keep that perspective when um, when you're going through it. It really is. I mean, I see, you know, I'm just thinking of a situation with a current client of ours, and she is the primary caregiver for her both of her elderly parents and she has siblings but they're all across the country in different locations and you know the thing that comes up for me is um you know one of the things that that I've talked to her about and worked with her on is because she's there and she's a part of the day-to-day existence what it looks like for her to this is going to sound incredibly harsh, um, but to let go of being the martyr and ask for help and support. Um, and, you know, I think all of us in some way, shape, or, or form have, like, we've played the martyr on on something at some point. Some of us do it more often than others, right? Um, but one of the things to kind of keep in mind with situations like this when you're needing to care for somebody other than yourself and there are other people involved in the decisions, especially when you're the one there who's having to make the day-to-day decisions and you're seeing your parent, um, or it could be that you're seeing your child, it could be a partner, you're seeing them deteriorate day by day in front of you. That one of the things that is actually best for that person you're caregiving for is for you to take a step back and ask for help and support in the ways that are most beneficial for you. Um, and I know that, that that can be incredibly hard, especially if you get into this cycle of just being dependent on yourself all the time for everything. And, you know, you're you're stuck in that way of thinking, that way of living, that way of being, where you just, you expect that you're going to have to do it all and figure it all out. Um, you know, again, such hard circumstances, but, you know, just remembering for those of us who are givers and caretakers that the single best thing we can often do for those we need to care for 
is to take a step back out of the situation for a short, it could be a short period of time. It could be 20 seconds. It could be a day. Um, it could be, you know, a half hour, whatever it is, um, to get back in touch and speak up for what you need. Well, this will sound perhaps over harsh, but I'll say it this way. Like you don't get to be mad and resentful at people not providing help that you didn't ask for. Yeah. Right. Um, and I know that with this situation, it's much like being a parent or much like being a partner or the family household manager, right? There's a lot of mental and emotional load that you carry if you're the primary caretaker, right? Mm -hmm. And, you know, asking for help ne doesn't necessarily remove the load that you've got to figure out everything and so on and so forth. And what you might want is to have people share that load and divvy up the different things. So maybe you're not responsible for medical and estate and day-to-day -day living and so on and so forth. Maybe someone else can help out with estate and legal mm -hmm. and they carry that load and you do medical or something like that. You can divvy the, these things up. Yeah. At the same time though, um, this goes in general, like we have posts about this as well. Mm -hmm. Like, don't make people be mind readers and don't be mad that they're not mind readers. Like, if you're needing something and no one else knows that, right, um, then it's not really their fault. Now, if they're being woefully, like, they're just not asking if there's something they can do to help or they haven't done that, that's a whole nother line. Mm -hmm. um, but if you're on the struggle bus and no one knows you're on the struggle bus and you've set up the precedent that no you've got this you're doing it you're you, you've got everything mm -hmm. and you've signaled that people can't help you yeah right then got to check yourself when you get mad or resentful that people aren't helping mm -hmm. right because they haven't had an opportunity to do so or they haven't got in there and about the only thing they can do is come in and fire you but that's hard right yeah. um for different reasons and so you just got to be super careful about that and the other thing i'll say here is I can't overstress the value of having a counselor or therapist if you are the primary caregiver in a situation like this. Absolutely. So you have an independent person that you can talk to about these particular type of things because a lot of times if you're um, doing the natural human thing of venting and sharing how difficult it is with, with people involved in the situation, mm -hmm. Um, it can create, it can make it worse because some people can't handle that. Some people will read that differently. Some people um, don't understand that you just need to get it off your chest, but they don't need to do anything. Like the people in the situation, like their emotional intelligence might not be high enough to really meet you where you are. Mm -hmm. um, but you got to get that stuff out, right? Yeah. And so having a therapist can go a long way. You know, having a coach can go a long way. Just having an independent person or someone else who's going through this. And like there are support groups for this too. Yeah. Where there are independent people where you can talk to about these things. Super valuable. Um, because I think if you don't get it out, it goes inward. And then, you know, you're sitting there worrying about stuff that you can't change and so on and so forth. Right. And mm -hmm. I know for me personally, one of the ways that I that I process this is I think in terms of like the, whether you want to talk at the serenity prayer or whether you want to go to sort of the Dalai Lama's where like, you know, if there's a solution in place, there's no need to worry. If there's not, if there can't be a solution in place, there's no need to worry. But I think we can eat ourselves up with a lot of the anxiety and worry and concern and doubts and things like that, that actually don't make a damn bit of difference. Mm -hmm. Right. 
Um, they don't make a damn bit of difference whatsoever. But there we are eating ourselves up about it, and there we are projecting that onto the people in the scenario, um, and it doesn't help. And mm-hmm. I know it's never helpful to be told that worrying and being anxious and things doesn't help. I know, you know, on, the, on a certain point, I know that's not helpful. Mm-hmm. It's also true, though, right? And so you have to be careful about how much of your emotional labor yields a result, Versus how much of it, uh, well, a positive result, I should say, that that actually helps the situation. Versus how much of it is just you dealing with your own inner stuff and feelings of shame and guilt and inadequacy and, and so on and so forth. And, you know, we almost have to reverse it and think, if you were in the situation of the person who's the caretakee, how would you want the caretaker to feel? And in that situation... Most of the time, I would say you wouldn't want them to feel ashamed and guilty and, you know, all those different things if they're doing the best they can and contributing and, um, you know, being engaged. Yeah. You wouldn't want them to feel that way. So you just kind of have to apply that back to yourself. Mm-hmm. I'd love to, um, you know, maybe talk just another minute about the the guilt and the shame piece of this. Because that's something that I know I've contended with, you've had your own issues with, um, and, you know, our friends and clients and, and colleagues who deal with this as well have talked about the the guilt and the shame that comes up with not being there. And so I'm just curious if you have any, um, any insight, thoughts, feedback about what to do when the guilt and shame is is taking its toll on you. Yeah. Um, so when it comes to guilt and shame in general, I try to distinguish between what of it's like actually coming from me mm-hmm. versus what of it is projected guilt and shame from other people because other people think I should be doing something. Yeah. Right. Or I'm not following other people's rules, so on and so forth. And mm-hmm. so... I would say sort of step one, if you're going to take more of a rationalistic approach to it, step one will be to figure out which of those sources of guilt and shame are actually your own, right? And then once you can find that, find the mirror, like what what particular value, what particular priority, what particular way of being is not being um, expressed Mm -hmm. and manifested. And then what might you be able to do um, in that scenario Understanding that um, the the world is not as ideal as we would like it to be sometimes, right? Mm-hmm. Um, the way that you might like things to be and the way they are are likely to converge, are likely to diverge um, quite a bit, mm-hmm. right? And so, in an ideal world, maybe you would live, like I'll say, I'll say it in this way, because in an ideal world, maybe I would live in Little Rock, mm-hmm. right? Maybe I would be a part of the day-to-day sort of scenario, um, maybe, you know, our family circumstance would be different, mm-hmm. right? Well, it doesn't really do me any good to have a bunch of guilt and shame about that, though, because that's not the way the world is. Yeah. So given the way the world is, or the ways that I can show up that are aligned, right, um, that are useful, that are supportive, so and so forth, and what are the ways where I'm just bumbling all over myself and getting in the way and getting involved in stuff that I don't need to be involved in, um, and limit that. Um, 
Now, if your involvement is causing a lot of friction and conversations with your siblings and the people involved and things like that, then, you know, obviously you're going to need to have some conversations, right, about what you can and can't do, mm-hmm. perhaps what's reasonable and what's not reasonable. Um, and again, going back to that sort of outcome talk that I talked about before and saying, okay, like, we do we disagree on the outcomes we want to have happen? Mm-hmm. Or do we disagree on how we're making those outcomes come up to be? Yeah. Right? And find out where the actual source of argument is and the source of friction is. Mm-hmm. And, you know, a lot of times it might be that the source of friction is just that it's hard. Mm-hmm. And you don't know how to talk about it. You don't know. And so it comes off as, you know, spikiness. And it comes off as sort of, you know, fighting between each other when really it's just hard. Mm-hmm. And um, you don't know how to handle that. And that's, you know, that's being human. Yeah. But that's, you know, kind of how I go back to it's like, okay, all right, well, what what are we disagreeing about here? And is there a solution that we can create mm-hmm. that is, um, you know, a good compromise that, that, you know, I bend a little bit, you bend a little, we all agree. Or, you know, I'm not asking you to bend on something that is unreasonable. Um, so... That's how I process that. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, I will say that I've seen some people um, have much more challenging with have much more challenges dealing with that externally projected stuff. Yeah. That creates the guilt and shame and things like that. Um, mm-hmm. And so uh, maybe you want to talk to talk about those things. Um, no, I mean, I think you spoke to it pretty well already um you know it's about and you know you said it's about discovering or parsing out what is it that is not in alignment for you versus what other people think should be happening um and that's a simple statement and it's a hard thing to do Because you think about it, you know, and whether it is related to when to show up for family during medical issues or that kind of thing or any other thing, like us developing as people and as individuals is this constant um, awakening of ourself, um, unfolding of ourself, unearthing, like what our truth is and what our values are and not what the values and truth are of our society, our family, our coach, our friend, whatever it might be. And so that's just a constant thing that every single one of us have to deal with throughout our lives um, is that that unearthing what is what is us what's our truth what's our value um and is it is it someone else's yeah the last thing i want to put here that comes up and um i recognize throughout this conversation that i've that i've taken very much more of a detached philosophical approach to things right mm-hmm. as i'm prone to do mm-hmm. um but i was thinking of sort of a Kantian maxim here, and I won't, I won't necessarily go to the Kantian route, but what I do want to say is, as best you can, put everybody's life and interest and needs um, in the mix, and also, as best you can, treat people 
as equally as possible in the sense of it's not just that this one person's um, life matters more, right, than someone else's. Mm-hmm. And it's not just that this person's thing matters more. It's like they all matter in a way, mm-hmm. right? And that could be the caretake right? Their life matters, um, but their life doesn't necessarily trump everybody else's life, right? Like it's the only one that really matters. Yeah. Um, everybody's life matters. And yes, that makes things trickier, mm-hmm. but the important thing to consider is your life matters too, yeah. right? You are a part of that mix. And it's not that you necessarily r- remove yourself from it and you make whatever choice benefits everybody else. No, you get in there and you make the choices that best benefits everybody, including yourself. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, because if not, I think that's where you get down the road of martyrdom and you get down the road of burnout and you get right down the road of resentment and everything like that, because it seems like everybody else, everybody else's life matters more than yours does. Yeah. Right. Um, as opposed to just being like, no, mine is a part of the mix. And um, we need to figure it out so that as best as possible, um, we um, we figure out a situation that, that does the best we can in this circumstance. And it might not be maximal, right? It might not be ideal, but maybe it's optimal. Maybe it's the best you can do in the situation for all parties involved. Super hard to get there, I know. But just put yourself in that mix yeah. of, of people and things that matter. Yeah seems like a good place to stop actually you know just the the recognition that um we have needs um we have ways that we need to connect with our family and it's going to look different than it looks for our sibling our parents our grandparent our aunt our uncle whatever it might be um well, I want to end on this one. I know we've we've gave some, we've given some um, strategies and conversations and things like that. But what I want to end is if you are the person, if you are the caretaker, or if you are the caretaker, um, I just you know want to send love and just want to reaffirm that yeah, it's hard and it just is, and we don't need to sort of say that there's a beauty in it and everything like that. It can be just hard. And um, do the best you can, like, to make space for that and to take care of yourself and to take care of the people involved. And because at the end of the day, it's really about the people, right? It's really about all of that. And, and, you know, don't necessarily get hung up on the small things and the woulda, coulda, shouldas. You're doing the best you can. It's hard right now. And, um, yeah, just want to end on that one. Angela, thanks so much for joining me again today. Um, you know, this is one of those where we've been putting it off. I'm glad we um, <laughs> actually had the conversation. I hope it's been useful for people. But again, thanks yeah. for joining me. Yeah, I'm really um, honored to have been here today to talk about this um, topic that hits hard for a lot of people. Alrighty, So, listener, thanks for joining us as well. Um, take care of yourself. And until next time, stand tall. Thanks for listening to Productive Flourishing. To get more resources that will help you finish the work that matters and be your best self in the world, head on over to ProductiveFlourishing.com. If this episode warmed your heart or got your wheels turning, we'd really appreciate it if you'd leave a review for the podcast on iTunes.